My guest here today is Max Stossel. He's an award-winning poet, filmmaker, and speaker recognized by Forbes as one of the best storytellers of the year. His one-man show, Words That Move, has been selling out theaters in New York City and touring in select locations. Go to wordsthatmove.com for more info. Welcome to Noble Warrior, Max. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I want to make this public. I was watching your newest show, and I really loved the synchronization of your words and the music, and really felt them and gave them lots of goosebumps. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Thanks for that reflection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been a, a beautiful journey putting that out to the world. It's a, a film of the... Uh, it's like a one hour, it's the one hour show that was live and it's turned into a digital special. So it's a combination of film and music and poetry and it's something really unique and something I love a lot. And then if you're listening to this, I hope that you'll watch if you like what you're here today. So I want to dive into later on, not right now, but later on the creative process of assembling all of that together. But I want to zoom out real quick because you introduce yourself as a poet. So I'm sure you get that question a lot. You actually have said it. You made a piece out of what do you do as a poem, right? So in your opinion, what's the primary purpose of a poet in today's society? Hmm. Um, I think one of, the, one of the answers to that question is to not answer that question. Ah. Um, of like a... <laughs> the meta meta answer. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like a rejection of the idea that art needs a purpose or a reason or that we need a purpose or a reason. And mm. whether it's that of a poet or of an artist, um, but I think to steadfastly stand in like, hey, here's what I am and here, like, here's what's real for me, regardless of what that is or the quote unquote value that we perceive it has to society or not. Just here's what's happening. Here's what I see. Here's what I observe. And like without any need for that to be responded to in a certain way, make money, whatever it is, just like here, here's who, here's who I am. I think that's a big piece of what being an artist is and not here's who I am to show you who I am. No, not that just here's who I am. Cause here's who I am. And mm. that being enough. Well, but that sounds to me very similar. Can you nuance that for me real quick? Cause one is here's who I am. And here is, uh, let me show you who I am. So what's what's the nuance there? It sounds sure, very, nuance. very similar. Yeah, no, sh the, thanks for asking. The nuance is, here's who I am to show you who I am, is because I'm trying to get you to understand. Um, mm. I'm showing you so that you see me. Here's who I am, because here's who I am. It's just this is who this is what I am. Here's who I am. Here's who I am right now. And how you receive that sort of not my responsibility. Um, and I hope you receive it loving. I hope it feeds you. I hope it's beautiful. Like that's what I want. That's my own personal preferences. And that makes me feel good when that happens. Um, I see. and, I... but really it's about just like this, I'm not doing it for your reaction. And I think in our social media world, it's very hard to see that nuance. Um, mm -hmm. like for the external likes, the views, the shares, the attention, not for that. Just here, here's, here's what's real for me. Ah, I see. So, so the nuance for me, what I'm hearing between the line is attachment. Here's me, no attachment. 
here's me so that I get something in return, the likes, the views, or whatever. Yeah. Is that, can, is that an accurate truly, reflection? You have to truly be removed from any sort of need for a certain type of response or expectation of how that's going to um, yeah, be received or what I'll get in return, just separate from that, just being. Yeah. I think that's the role of a lot of artists. And if we can, expressing it. You know, one of the things, so I'm, shall we say, not a poet, not a poet, not a professional poet, shall we say. I'm, I use words, but what I, what I see as the role of a modern day poet is to feel and express their truth as unadulterated as possible and that's to me is a beautiful path i yeah. love that and yeah i think that's i think what we're saying is similar mm. so um how do you manage convey these really fundamental truth of being human with your craft of language you know, in, in an imagery and, and uh, felt experience through your poetry and storytelling? I mean, that's a super broad question. I so, got something for you, though. Um, well, well the, the, the phrase that really caught my um, attention was simple complexity. Hmm. And to me, that's a paradoxical phrase. So, so that's that, you know, have my, it was kind of like a Cohen. Like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> Simple complexity. So, yes, you got something for me. Go ahead. Yeah. And you know, what you said totally relates to it there, too, as well with simple complexity. Um, words are always going to fall short of the actual human experience and what we're pointing. It's like they can point at it, they can point at what's happening, but they aren't it. And that's some of my resistance to like saying this is the purpose, is because to articulate what the purpose of this of this art or being is would not quite do it. It just the words are going to fall short. And, you know, we're taking in reality as we see it, something happens, we filter that through our, you know, literal experiences, then to thoughts and emotions about it, and then to words, that's three steps removed. It's kind of like typing something into Google Translate, putting it into Spanish, then putting it into Russian, and then putting it back to English, like that's basically what we're getting out. Um, and when we communicate, it's really far from what's actually going on. Um, and I think there is a way that like poetry and my poetry at its best touches that like, oh, yeah, really points to that thing where we're having a shared experience for a moment. And I love it. I love it when that happens. Um, and yeah, and I think like paradox is one example of that paradox breaks the mind where it's like, oh, both of these sides of these seemingly opposite things, I feel that they're true. And huh, how can that be? It's like, yeah, it sends the mind on a loop of, wait, but what? That doesn't make sense, but it is. And, and I love the way that paradox transcends like thought. Um, and I think often paradox is a good gateway to truth. I tell a lot of writers and poets that like, if you they stumble on a paradox that like, where both sides feel really true, that's a good signal to like start writing or to to explore that further because paradox is juicy. Mm, I love that. Uh, so Lao Tzu, he wrote the Tao Te Ching and the yeah. opening line was, if you can articulate a Tao, it's not the Tao. Yeah. And then he proceeded to write a whole book about it. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was a funny thing for me. Yeah. But, but what you're saying is exactly words are so limited when you're pointing to something 
it's 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 about the felt experience hey don't look at the finger what you're pointing but look at the moon as bruce lee would say right and but but that is a very is that bruce lee i have quoted that so many times i did not know it was bruce lee don't fall in love with the finger pointing at the moon is that bruce lee he said it in the movie Got it. And that's why being using that, hey, don't you know, look at the moon, don't look at the finger. And mm -hmm. I use that in many ways of looking at spirituality versus mm -hmm. religion and all these things. And art. And art, exactly. So, but but that is a how do I articulate this? It's um your art is by design um help people, support people, guide people to feel you know, a felt experience of something, right? The truth that you experience. And often if it's done well, it's beautiful. If it's not done well, then it's cliche, right? So um, how do you, like, how do you do that? Because, <laughs> right? Like how do you use words in the most simplistic way to get people to feel a particular way? I think one of the reasons I've been able to be successful at that um is i think i have a very good i think i have a very good sense of well, one self-awareness and i'm very good at not kind of eating my own bullshit um like i have a good sense when i've written something like do i like this because i wrote it like do i like this because like it just came out and expresses what i'm thinking well another person who doesn't know me who's living their totally their own experience like their own world that doesn't know my inspiration for this, where it's coming from, what it means to me. Are they gonna? Are they really gonna feel like? Are they really gonna feel what I'm pointing at? And in some ways, like that is counter to what I was talking about of an artist's role of just like expressing and letting it fall wherever it does. And I sort of think there are two different forms of of art. One which is just like that pure expression, which is absolutely beautiful. And another where it's like, hey, I'm I'm actually, I'm making this not for me, but for you. Like I'm trying to guide you and to handhold here, like in the most beautiful way possible to show you this truth that I discovered that I want you to see because it's amazing. And I want to share it with you. And I think when it's the latter, then having a deep sense of self-awareness and like just being really prone to how easy it is to trick ourselves into believing something is it when it's not it. And trying to say, like, huh, does, like, does that do it? Does that really guide them to this light that I'm trying to show? Or are they not going to understand? Or are they going to, you know, be turned off by this phrasing? And so I think that, and, you know, and this show does have a lot of that, that hand-holding. I think who I've become since writing it is much more interested and attached to uh, just, like, wanting to express without need for any sort of approval or anything or being understood and, um I don't know though, as I say that out loud, I, I do. I want people to to see that truth in that light. Um, I guess I'm less interested than I used to be in like altering truth in any way, shape or form so that others get it. So as long as it is deeply true to me, then I feel it is done compared to how when I made that show, I think I was much more interested in, let me make sure that they're really getting what I'm putting down. So I'm going to dive into this sort of the creative process. So what I'm hearing you say is, the ability to switch hats from expressing Max's point of view and also to look at it, I guess, you know, producer's point of view, you know, how does this serve the audience perspective? How 
okay so do you switch back and forth in the process or you just in the beginning focus more on uh, max's truth to the best of his ability and then as as you put together the show and put on the producer view you know so the total you, you're looking at max as a performer rather than you know uh like tell us yeah, a little bit about how you switch the hat yeah as I look back on it, um, I think the phases thinking is helpful because when it's first coming through in the inspired moment, it's not filtering at all. The only filter is you or is me is like the it's coming. The person it's coming through is the filter and just trying to get whatever inspiration is coming, get it out, like put it on a page on the canvas on whatever your art form is um, and just like get it out. Whatever is there, get all of it is sort of the first phase. Um, often because that feels so sacred to me, it's very, I will, I'm resistant to editing that purity when it comes out. Um, usually I will like, I really have to be deep, like feel in my bones that something is really better to make a change to that first, to that first purity. And so that's in the initial kind of inspiration and creative process. And then as I'm starting to craft it into a piece, there is more of that hat of like, are people going to get this? Um, and then I'm weighing that like, resistance to changing the purity of what came out with is that going to land for people how could i say this differently is this excessive Does this belong in this poem or a different poem starting to put on that um that hat in the editing process and yeah in the production of the full show there was a deep care and concern for would people get it especially with poetry you know what an hour of poetry what i'm going to sit through an hour of poetry i wanted to make sure that like had lots of laughs and funny moments and like things that really made it fun to watch and engaging because i really cared about whether people were taking it in or not for this show um and so yeah i would say the the first part of the process like the only filter being the person that you are or for me anyway the person that i am and then once I'm starting to present it for how it's going to be received by others is where I start looking at that other piece, that producer hat. So I was watching Joe Rogan talking about the stand-up comedy, how they basically craft. I think it was a conversation between Joe Rogan and I think Dave Chappelle. I don't remember exactly who, but it was Joe Rogan for sure. He was talking about the act of putting together a comedy special. And, and he said it was a experience co-creating with the audience because you're grasping at something and then based on how the audience respond then it can navigate and optimize for laughs right because they're co-creating with the audience accordingly so what i'm hearing you say how that differs from let's say a poet poetry show is the poetry show is more personal more naked because you're really showing an uh, internal perspective and then you craft around the performance audience response aspect of it. Am I projecting too much or can you maybe um, make, make a, a comparison? Little, but there's a lot of similarities there. Um, yeah. I think it's like, I love stand-up comedy and I think there are similarities. Um, I think places where I'd say there are differences is that you know, like, if it felt like, if some, yeah, my laughs are not my barometer. One, laughs are so much fun. I love getting laughs feels so good on stage. It's just like such a wonderful feeling to be standing on a stage and get laughs. I get how stand-up comics get addicted to this and dedicate their lives to that world. It's fantastic. Um, and, and yet for me, like my barometer and the way they're looking at laughs is like, 
yeah, like, are they here with me? Like, are they really taking in what I'm saying? And to me, laughter is one vehicle that allows that to happen more easily. Um, tears are another. And just like silence is another vehicle where I'm like, okay, if, if I can hear a pin drop, then I've really got them at this point. And what I would, you know, shape or shift in a show would be if I feel like I'm losing, there's a sense on stage, like it, is attention raptured in this moment? And if it's not, then it is possible that I would reorder things or be like, okay, this poem is too long. Maybe it shouldn't go in this, uh, in this spot. I, like I will rarely just like cut something down or in half to like to make it work for the show. It feels like hurting a baby. Um, but it's, uh, but I will shift order or remove a poem and add a different, a different one or things like that. Cause the shows themselves don't feel like one cohesive thing, not yet anyway, maybe the next one will, um, they feel like a combination of different poems, each of which feels important to me. Yeah. To, to me, it's a, it's a variety show, right? And I also love that you brought, um, performances, uh, in it. So I, I've never seen anyone perform flow slash poetry and box at the same time. <laughs> One, I'm impressed that you can actually do that. <laughs> Two, that you didn't lose breath. Like, and then, yeah, so, so I'm really impressed how you're able to bring in different modalities, whether it's uh, dance or, you know, costumes or uh, digital, you know, visuals as a way to help you articulate the, again the the felt experience that you had inside thanks man i appreciate that yeah was there a specific poem that resonated with you most out of the out of the nine um well the the one you you talked about your mom and and porn and <laughs> that that stands out because that was really funny it was very personal and you made that experience of exploring sexuality through porn um very relatable because i mean i don't know how women are but for all men like that's part of our growth experience in modern days today so that was very very relatable yeah, yeah. but but there were other uh, nuanced ones i think it was the circle i actually watched a lot of your uh pieces so i don't remember exactly how you know, which is which. Sure. Talk good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't remember that. But but I would say the circle one was very um was very beautiful. Thanks. You know, about about loss and um all those things. Um Yeah, the porn one is a reflection on my relationship with porn in front of my mom in the audience, which is a fun little <laughs> just hearing people listen might be like, you know, your mom and porn be like, huh, what is <laughs> what is that about? Um, but it's a reflection on my relationship with porn and I performed it in front of my mom, which is just always funny for folks. How how has because to me, being a poet is even more naked than say a stand up stand up comic. Because stand up comic, yes, it is personal and they're optimizing for laughs. So they don't really, in my mind, don't care about um how personal it gets. It's it's more about the punchline, right? Because they, they know it's a, it's a made up character. It's not real. When Dave Chappelle talking about, you know, pussies or whatever, or infidelity or thoughts, these are just avatars or character that he's created on stage hmm. to, to optimize for a laugh. But in your case, it's highly personal. Hmm. So can you share with us a, lot, a little bit about um, the transformation that you experience having to go from 
you know, working for VaynerMedia as a digital strategist, all the way to, you know, being a artist who just shares everything, the most intimate part about mm -hmm. oneself to the world. Like, tell us a little bit about that transformation. You know, it comes up for me as you say that is they're definitely, especially in my, you know, teens and 20s, um, I think like there was a, especially early twenties, yeah, like real, a fear of like being genuinely vulnerable. I might like being performatively vulnerable if I knew it was going to be received well, but being generally genu genuinely vulnerable. And I think one thing that, and I, you know, in VaynerMedia, the, in, when I used to work in the social media world, I was still kind of passionate about communication and getting ideas across. That was always interesting to me, but to, I think one thing that poetry gave me was a way of revealing myself in a way that felt the most true and in ways that it was really landing for people. And I felt really seen through this craft and through this process. And that was deeply rewarding that I could convey things that felt deeply true and important to me and have them land and resonate in others. That was a big part of the, I think the fuel and appeal that kept me going and made me so dedicated to, to this work. Um, and yeah, there is like a, for sure, there's like a nakedness and vulnerability to getting on stage and, and doing this stuff. Um, and you know, it's, that's an interesting observation that like, yeah, comedians are kind of doing, there's like a, a focus on the punchline that is a little bit different than, than sh just like sharing truth. Also, you know, I love Chappelle so much and he like, that man is a truth teller. What he's doing up on stage there is telling truth and comedy, poetry, both like, yeah, they help the medicine go down. It's like, it's so much easier to hear talk about politics or about any sort of important issues when we're laughing or arting about it compared to just the conversation. And in many ways, I think the most vulnerable thing would be just to like to get up on stage and just talk without rhyme or laugh. Um, you know, I'm I'm getting ready to release a book of poems, which feels much more vulnerable to me than on stage because also like I know when I get on stage that people are going to like it like I've done this now long enough and yeah I'm confident enough in the work like as I do that it's I felt people light up so many times that I know that that's going to feel a positive response from the audience it's very rare that that's not the case um, and it's usually if like I'm in some loud room where there's so much other stuff going on that it just feels like this isn't a good environment for poetry and why are we all doing this um, but in general, I know how people are going to receive it or have a good sense of generally what it's going to feel like performing poetry on stage, but to write poems in a book and just be like, here are some thoughts, like here are some feelings, here are some poems, some things that are personal to me that feels scarier than getting on stage. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So, so let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. So again, yeah, I'll use stand up comedians as a as an example because they um their process my understanding is they go to different comedy clubs test out their material based on the crowd response they would adjust accordingly and, and really navigate and optimize for that laughter per unit time right so then mm -hmm. they can eventually assemble it all together to a greater piece so that's a co-creative process mm -hmm. um how do you assemble your final show 
do you perform in small venues again similar process and then you're like oh this is good let me tweak and then you optimize for presence right the rapture you know per unit time <laughs> and then put it together this i'm a i'm an engineer by trade cool. yeah. so, 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 so this is how i think about things um and yeah i'm thinking out loud, out loud of like yeah like i wonder you know comics i'm sure are balancing between optimal laughs and the thing they want to say on stage so there's like a balance of that right it's not like a pure what gets the laugh most laughs formula i bet um and yeah that it like i'm all i'm jealous of stand-up comics that there are so many venues and places that are like good places to practice and try out sets and material um that's a rare thing for poets like there is you know there are poetry clubs and things like that but to have like a full set in the way that I do a similar set, which is kind of like what stand-up comics do. There aren't that many just like vent unless I'm making it myself and inviting people myself for like that amount of time that I want to test and practice things. Those environments don't really exist. So it's been in the shows themselves that I'm testing things out and feeling. And yeah, if I had to pick what was I optimizing for, it would be yeah, like rapture. I like your word rapture there. Um, and that presence is what I'm looking for. It's like, hey, are we are you with me from start to finish? And if there are places where I feel like I'm losing people consistently, then I probably want to make a change um, in terms of crafting the whole show together. Um, and also I'm really curious in my, so I'm so excited to release the show, getting ready to release a couple of short films in this book. It feels like wiping the slate clean to create a new chapter to create the next one. And I am curious if I will care as much about that in the next show, because I think I am just at a place in my own creative life where I'm much more interested in, hey, let me get people together and say what I want to say and deliver what I want to deliver. As I say it out loud, of course, I'm going to care about how it's received or like that people get it. <laughs> so I imagine there'll still be threads. I just think that that consumed me once. Like I was obsessed with like, is it delivering? And I think so much so that it got in the way of, um, of sometimes my own expression of truth and i'm excited to create with the scales of that balance to it shifted how do you strike that line between because uh, again a lot of respect for poets because you're really pouring the innermost raw experience to the world and how do you also not let, letting it affect you right because i actually have um a lot of artists friends who um it's a very very vulnerable place you need to expose your heart and at the same time not letting other people's opinion or or, or indifference impact you so how do you cultivate that resilience i guess that's the, be the best world or, or equanimity to go after it over and over again you know right? mm -hmm. being more and more raw and and at the same time not not being impacted by you know outside opinions for me i think it's less about uh trying to protect myself from the hurt and more about being comfortable in the hurt like so not trying to guard so that other people's opinions or thoughts won't hurt me but rather to let them hurt me feel the hurt and then move through that and come out on the other side and know that like, okay, I was hurt and I am not defined by this hurt. And how do I want to take the information of that hurt with me and choose from an internally driven place. And so, you know, like you get the one negative comment on a thread, like 
it sometimes you focus on it and like it does get to you. Um, but I think my intention is to not try and be like, uh, I'm not gonna let it get to me. No, 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 it doesn't matter. That's stupid. But like, wow, oh, man, I wish they got it. Like, I wish they connected with this. This did not resonate. That's what they thought. Okay, that's one person. And I don't like the way that felt. And we feel that and keep moving. Okay. So it's a very rational process. Uh, I'll make it personal. So, so for me, cause I, I do podcasts and, you know, I do TikTok videos and share my thoughts and so forth. And, and that's the, the ability that I'm, the, the skill that I'm honing in my, myself. And the way I'm doing it today is if I feel a particular charge of something, I can actually take that charge into my meditation practice as a way to neutralize whatever that that is. Mm -hmm. And that to me was the fastest way to, I suppose, um, neutralize it yeah. rather than suppress it, ignore it, overcome it or rationalize it. Ah, they're just stupid or whatever, <laughs> whatever the, the thought is. So that works for me. So I don't want to seem like I'm focusing on processing, but I but I am curious about how do you process that? So often, like I do plenty of beating the crap out of pillows and rage, <laughs> stuff like that, of processing anger. Like okay. just when I like crying, letting myself really cry, like celebration of crying, like mm -hmm. really letting that the feelings in and letting it be overwhelming, like not exaggerating it so much, hyping it up, but like, no, really like not trying to diminish this emotion as it's here. I have like frequent practices of that. Um, and I would say that's that's most of my process around how I'm processing the difficult emotions. Mm, um, mm, mm. And yeah, as an artist, it's like ex expressing, feeling something and express, letting it literally move through me. Um, and then trusting myself to find the center on the other side. And so, I mean, it's something I'm doing all of the time. I'm not raging and screaming and crying all the time, but letting myself feel an emotion, not diminishing that emotion, like really letting it be and then there are more you know some environments are more conducive to expression of those emotions than others um but yeah and also like of i have come to surround myself with people who are really comfortable with that like if i'm crying and someone hands me a tissue like that's i'm often like please don't do that like please don't <laughs> like please don't like I, there's some part of like, maybe you're wanting to help and that's great. But oftentimes people are handing a tissue of like, oh, you're crying. We need to diminish the sadness. Like, you know, it's, it's okay, man. Don't cry. Um, and a tissue may be a silly example, but if you, if you are very, when you're very comfortable with your own sadness and anger, you notice how uncomfortable other people are with your and their own sadness and anger. And because it's hard to fully be with those emotions, I really value um, yeah, I value people who are open to that. And I value like the difficulty and courage it takes to like really own those. And it's not easy in a lot of environments. Yeah. What I'm getting from what you said is, um, emotional mastery is about feeling it fully, whatever that process is, you know, to allow the time to feel it fully, fully. And, uh, I really appreciate you pointing to that. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So since you came from the world of digital media, do you use digital media as a way to, because you, you don't always have a room, let's say, right? You don't always have a menu, uh, a, not menu, a venue. So 
So do you use digital media as a way to test material? That's the way I'm using it. I'm curious to know if you oh, cool. use digital media as a way to you know, test materials and see how people resonate and so forth. I haven't used it that way thus far. I'm actually, I'm curious about your experience with that of, um, to me, I so don't trust the, this got likes or engagements or shares or like process. Um, that if I can't feel how something resonated or didn't, I don't feel like I know how it went. Um, and that's cool that you're using it to test material. How do you go about that process? Um, let's say from our conversation from with Max, an idea came, let's just use what you just shared, like feeling it fully as the atomic unit of emotional mastery. Let's just say that's the theme I wanted to share. I would okay. write something up perhaps a rough draft before developing to a full thing and then just share on TikTok and see how people respond. Mm -hmm. And, and you're right. It is not the, it's still a proxy, right? It's not because I don't really know how they receive it. Is it just a like, is it some emotional thing? Is it just views? Is it just number of shares? But to me, it's still something It's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and as I'm delivering it, I, uh, I'm going to, share this publicly now i listen to my own stuff mm -hmm. I'm like how do how does that make me feel as a as a viewer and so that's another data uh, the the subjective data of delivering it the subjective data of receiving it and also some some numbers of you know how this helps people or so forth that's the cool. limitation of digital media um i would love to figure out a way that i felt good about doing that myself um thus far for me um i feel i feel the right word i perceive such a difference between like the actual felt sense of taking something in and what we receive as content creators on the other side of it that feels so disconnected from the sharing and sharing of the message that it's so hard for me to engage frequently with these mediums um, that's just like true for me. I, I hear you. I'm like, oh, this is cool that you have a process around that that feels good for you. I'm jealous of that and jealousy <laughs> often appointing is something that we want. Um, and the it's because yeah, for me of like even just like okay, like the way you identified, okay, there's a kernel. That's the kernel I want to share. I'm gonna write up a thing and I'm gonna share it. Like in my mind, I'm like, oh, like so much energy loss in the transfer of medium, like throughout that. And then the biggest energy loss is the one where we put it into this little freaking box and send it out the other way with so much like energy loss of the thing I'm trying to communicate. And honestly, Stephen, just talking to you here has been insightful for me of recognizing where I'm at just in that process of caring about the delivery of the original energy. Um, and I think as I'm just talking here with you, I think it is true for me that I have, I care so much less about um, what other people think of me or think of what I'm saying than they used to. And I do care tremendously that the full energy transmission has reached, whether you take it or not, it's not for me to decide, but I really want you to get the, to feel the fullness mm. of what I'm expressing. And it feels really hard for me to actually do that on mm. social media, the point of making these films and such high production of that I have is to try to keep that full energy transfer into this ecosystem and the ease at which you just described a kernel. I'm going to write something up about that. And I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to share it. Like, 
oh, I crave that ease. And there's also something about it for me that doesn't feel like the end, the full transmission of energy that I want to give. And also it's so totally okay that you and I are different and how we go about this. Um, I'm just noticing that as I hear you reflect. So uh, how do I articulate this? So there's an idea of the artist approach and the engineer approach. Mm. The engineer approach is of MVP, right? Minimum viable product, throw it out there, how useful it is, and then you hone it, hone it, hone it to eventually craft into something. Mm -hmm. Whereas an artist, you protect fragility of an idea, you nurture it, you want to develop it fully. And then once you feel like it's ready, and another question I want to ask you, how do you know it's ready? Uh, then you release it to, to the world. And that's my experience of how artists typically approach. Um, pros and cons in both. Uh, the, the pros of the engineer approach is you get feedback you know, more frequently of how useful this thing is, this utility, this tool, this experience is. And, and the, the, the pros of the artist approach is you protect the integrity of the idea and develop fully. Um, but it also comes with the cons as well because you don't have that feedback loop of how it actually make how valuable exactly. how, how right. useful how practical it is for the for the receiver and i love the the focus on value like i think you nailed it of like uh because yeah it i think art is inherently not about value it's inherently so paradox it is so valuable <laughs> and inherently not about value um of like i think if we're when we're so caught in like in be specific if we take the engineer's approach with our art i think we end up creating something that other people wanted but not necessarily our expression in our art and i think one of the roles of art in society is to stay true to that like no here's the transmit here this thing and then also, frankly, to feel the pain of people didn't get it. People didn't get get the thing <laughs> that I should transmit. No, I didn't want to do it this way where I tested it out with people. And that's not to say that feedback isn't helpful or important, but a lot of great artists and art teachers will talk about trying to not take in feedback too early in the process mm -hmm. because it is so, you know, it starts to get in and get in the way of what we're trying to do as artists um, mm -hmm. and yeah, value is an interesting is an interesting concept with uh yeah with art it reminds me of a piece actually that you might like you want to hear one yeah let's do it um so it was about like as i was thinking about value and how much this work means to me and also just like my battles with self-worth and self-doubt it's sort of older now i have to try to remember it and get in touch with that headspace um but yeah, I was constantly wondering if I was worthy of following my heart, of worthy of pursuing my art. Wondering if my wording was worthy, worried I'm not worthy of working on creating beauty. I'm constantly wondering if I am creating any beauty. If there's any substance to these fleeting words, anything that's really worth, anything that changes after people hear my work. And there's been no change as far as the eye is concerned. So I'm concerned that at the end, my life's work won't have been worth anything. 
I'm afraid the world would be a better place if I replaced the time I spend on stage with walking out into the streets and doing literally anything. Do words matter when they don't make matter? Do ideas need to take matter to matter? Because to make matters worse, I don't want to be out there. I want to be here, sharing words that seem to so very quickly fade. My art doesn't exist in physical, tangible space. It comes and then it goes away until we're left with this. Nothingness. Emptiness. Consciousness. That I so desperately want to lift, but when I look around at this, it won't look any different than when I started. Unless we're different than when I started. And we won't look any different as far as the eye is concerned, so I'm concerned that none of this matters. Then again, do we matter? Nothing but this miraculous accumulation of matter, miraculous organization of matter, seeing matter, being matter, breathing matter. We can't actually make matter, but we can make matter matter. We can turn matter into things that matter. We can give matter value. Are these words valuable? Is that measured in dollars and cents? I guess logically, maybe that makes sense. But if we were observed by aliens, they'd probably wonder why we spend so much time and money on things that don't matter. They'd be like, why don't you value value for its value? Why not create a world where value is actually built on your values? Planet Earth can be the thing you call heaven with an adjustment to your attitudes. Isn't that a beautiful idea? And isn't it something that an idea can be beautiful? And maybe that's enough. I want so badly for it to be enough for what I create in hearts and minds and souls to be enough. I feel like I'm hurling stones into this giant pool of consciousness. And I finish each poem with a splash. And for a moment, there's a ripple over this vast pool of thoughts that we've collectively amassed. And then it fades, as ripples do. Without a care for me or you, that stillness is resumed. And as I gaze at this beautiful natural view, can't help but think it looks the same as it was before I threw. And I know the lake has my stones in it now, but if I'm being brutally honest with myself, is that change? Does that matter? And no matter how much time I spend crafting the perfect lines, it won't stop my time on this earth from its inevitable decline. Since birth, I have been slowly dying, losing my arm wrestling match with father time. And it might look like I have my shit together as far as the eye is concerned, but I'm concerned that I'm wasting the only thing that matters. That I'll look back from my deathbed knowing deep down that it didn't matter, that I'll return to the earth nothing but mere matter without having made any more than a ripple. At least as far as the eye is concerned. And so that was a piece I wrote probably about four years ago. And it was like born out of my relationship with self-doubt and like, really wanting these work to matter, to measure the success or people getting it, like what is the value? And I think today I'm so confident in the ripple, like in that the way that we touch each other of like has this ongoing impact in ways that are, that, you know, we will not see in our lifetime. The Lin-Manuel Miranda quote I love of like legacy, what is a legacy planting seeds in a garden we never get to see? And it's like, yes, the garden for all of us and I'm so confident in the ripple of sharing truth and self-expression and like love in its fullest form without needing to see the outcome that I am a zealot for trying to help others who care to do the same. Mm. 
so many places I can <laughs> yeah uh, your heart I can respond to this so there's a lot of visual that comes to mind um I'm gonna quote two people uh, so one of my guests is Jeff Spencer he is known as the corner man for the likes of Tiger Woods Lance Armstrong Bono and he said this quote I really landed for me he said there's only one of you in all of eternity not before not after there's only one and and i'm gonna quote my friend nick labor another guest he says life is a lot like a comet flying through empty space what we see is the all the ice crystals of the comet so what you just share is a little bit of that ice crystals that you share and that only you max can ever made and that's beautiful and that's valuable quote unquote in itself because there's only one max in all of eternity. Hmm. That's what I got in what you just delivered. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for that reflection. Yeah. I'm impressed actually how you can just, you know, like, hey, I did this four years ago. Here it is. Bam. <laughs> in the moment. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Thanks, uh, was it a home skill to be able to memorize or is it a la Jason Silva, like improvisation in a moment. Like, how do you? It's often, it's funny. Craft. I was on, we talked a little bit about psychedelics. I was on Mushroom once and mm. a friend's friend asked me to share a poem and I was so clear. I was like, oh, I need to find it. Like I'm looking around, <laughs> like I'm looking around in my brain to find that poem. Cause if I can find the beginning, then it's like then it flows from there but i have to find the place it starts and then once it does it's you know was so core to me at some time where i was writing it and then writing it going back over it editing things changing it where you repeat it so many times that the memorization comes a little bit more easily for me much easier for me to memorize something i've written than something i haven't written um just like in me you know and uh and then yeah often in the shower i would just like go through it and then find the places where I'd be like, Oh no, I think that's not quite right. And then return to the text and do the parts that are hard over and over again. But I'm far more likely to forget like an entire stanza or like paragraph than I am like one word. Cause once I'm in it, there's like a rhyme and rhythm to it. And it's a, it's like a flow and a thread that if I can find the beginning, then I mostly have the whole chain. Wow. So, uh, I'm jealous. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> So, we can be jealous of each other in these. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it's a particular skill, right? If I really want it, I can probably hone my memorization skills. But that's an excuse that I have. Like, ah, I don't need to memorize it. I just get the concept and flow in the moment, kind of a guy, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm big on capturing ideas because I'm all about mental mastery. So capturing ideas, curating it, processing and synthesizing it, eventually have it come out. That's my mental process. How do you manage the content of the brilliance that just flow your way all the time, all the time, all the time? Do you take a notebook? Do you put it in Rome research? Do you, you know, use a, what's his name? Uh, Ryan Holiday note card system. Like, how do you I'm straight up Apple notes on my phone, pull it out. And I've got this big thing of disorganized notes. And in some ways I could probably use more organizations and structures in my life. And 
first thing that comes to mind when you ask, when we talk about capturing ideas is that I'm more interested in setting ideas free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I have a big resistance to structure. Like I've got some rebellion against structure in me of want, like feeling like sometimes when I tr- structure things, I make them small and mm-hmm. really wanting to, to unleash these things that feel so important to me and to give them their fullness. And I have written, you might find this interesting of, I probably over the course of being a poet, I've probably written three or four apologies to creativity. Mm. Like, and those apologies were like, being like, I'm sorry that I, that I made this about me. Like, I'm mm. sorry. And it's, I did it again. It's then as it happened again, like I did it again, I apologized. And then I did it again, which is a personal like scar and point for me. If I really do not like empty apologies, like when someone, when I apologize, I really want to make sure that I change the behavior. I try to only apologize if I will not do the same thing again. Otherwise I will not apologize. And yeah, noticing that time after time that I, feel these sparks and this aliveness and then I try to craft it and structure it into something that is valuable for Max, my career, my whatever, as opposed to setting it free. And so much beauty is just in like the freedom of it. And yet it's also so hard for me to like stay true to that and remember that because Max has a big old ego too. And is that thing gets in the way and tries to make it about me. Um, mm. And so I've, yeah, I've written several apologies to it for trying to capture it, you know, organizing with a thing like Rome is not making it about you. That's organizing. But I just do have a, a resistance to to structure as opposed to letting it be whatever it wants to be without trying to make it anything, if that makes sense. It does. So do you just keep all these ideas flowing in your mind? Or do you, you know, you like... So you have no process of like well, let's synthesizing get it down from raw for ideas? A poem, for like writing a poem? Yeah. Well, yeah. So when the poem starts, I pull out the notepad, uh-huh. put it down, and then as much of it as I can get there in that note, and then I will revisit that note. But I do not have and, you know, and then every once in a while where I'm like, oh, is there another show here? Maybe then like a Word doc or something like that of just like, okay, maybe these ones together. And then it turns into a script and then might move things around. Um, But, you know, for this show, I never had a script until I had to turn it into a film. Like, which then it was like, oh, we need a script. It was, yeah, I guess it was sort of all in my head. I just had the bullet points of unsanity, Luca, politics poem, (laughs) barber poem. Um, Like I had a list of nine and that was the outline of the show. And then I would have all the poems, you know, they Mm. were written down on notes somewhere, but they weren't all in one place. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And frankly, like I could probably use some help with organization. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's why you had that director, right? That to help you curate like, Hey, move this here, move this there. Aaron Aaron is wonderful. Uh, He's a friend and, um, and incredibly talented creative person. And I also, and it's interesting within like the, when is it time to release? You asked about that. I, I have been hoarding too much been holding on to poetry and different creativity this book being from you know some of it from years and years ago this these short films have been holding them for a while and i want to get better at like releasing things as they move through i also am wanting to hire someone whose job it is to just like literally just help these pieces get to the world in whatever form like 
I would pay them monthly, but with no like monetary incentive of where these things go, just like, are you helping these ideas get out to the world? That process is very challenging for me. And if there was somebody who's just really good at that, I would love to work with that person. Um, awesome. awesome. Um, I want to share Jason Silva's creative process. Do you know what that is? Yeah, we shared a stage once in Mexico. Awesome. Great. <laughs> I, I love to hear your thoughts, uh, you know, about Jason's work, etc. So I was, uh, I met him at Burning Man. I don't know. You're a burner, right? Perfect. How many times have I way? Four. Amazing. Great. So I met him and I'm, I'm a fan and I'm in all of his ability to channel, to improvise, whatever way you call it. Um, and I asked him about, my, about his creative process. I was like, oh, okay, do you just walk around all day and be able to channel? He's like, no, like <laughs> it actually takes him a lot of creative energy to do it. So he shared with me um, that he would, he's a fan of cannabis. So he would fix, he would, he would you know, take in a fixed amount of cannabis and then put himself in that creative peak state and go to an environment like Burning Man or some beautiful nature or places like that. And then just, um, and allow him to just channel in the moment. And then, so the stuff that we see online is the capture moment of his peak creative state. And I don't know how, how or what he performed on, let's say the TED stage as an example. I don't know if it's prepared or is purely improvised. I don't know, but just like that's his priming uh, experience mm. to be able to do those kind of performance. And and he, and he always has audio recording. And then he always has a a, a camera person with him, a la you know Gary V. Oh, there you go. Like, yeah. Whenever he's inspired, hey, capture it. Let's go. So that's that's how he does his stuff. I gotta say, I really do. I respect people who have built systems around themselves that way of like where, okay, here's the ways that I'm most creative or most like where it flows and then have built, whether it's a camera person or like built the structures in their lives or the, um, the, like the support systems in their lives to help channel what feels most important to them. And that's something that I, yeah, I'm in the process of, and I appreciate when people have done that well. So you had mentioned writing apology letters to uh, creativity. That reminds me of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's TED talk around creativity. Mm. She essentially look at creativity through a, a human, like, you know, sweeping her temple, showing up at nine o'clock, and then the muse would visit her effectively. That's, that's her language, right? So do you, what are your ways to cultivate a closer relationship a devotional relationship to creativity hmm. um one you've mentioned a whole bunch of people on this podcast that i just love from Chappelle to elizabeth gilbert of just like those elizabeth gilbert i would probably fanboy out if i ever saw in person is one of the few people i would really just lose my mind for i think she's so brilliant in the way she talks about this stuff um and the rick rubin book is also very much worth taking on if you haven't uh if you haven't done that as well and some ways I do it for myself um, are a sort of artist prayer as I get, as I sit down to write in the moments that aren't purely inspired and just being like, thank you for the opportunity to show up for you today. Like, I love you. And like, just thank you for the opportunity to be here at all. Um, and yeah, I have found that creativity most visits me when I'm taking care of me. It's like a, it's a very symbiotic relationship that 
the more that I am taking care of myself and like health and spaciousness and rest, like that is when creativity is most likely to visit. And so, um, yeah, like I, I believe like love, art, God are all forms of the same thread. And that when I'm loving myself and so like feeling touch getting in touch with my intuition, what wants to happen right now, like trying to live artfully or live in touch with that like inner voice that might not be about logic or reason. That's one way I would say that I like try to stay devoted to that force to really make sure that it knows it is in charge of my life. Beautiful. So I, I hear that there is. So one thing I want to distinguish for people who are watching, there's a difference between being committed to something to being emotional to something. Mm. Being committed is I am committed to the craft, mm. right? And being emotional to something is I'm offering my vessel, my energy, my mm. bandwidth as a gift mm. to whoever, you know, I'm devoted to. So what like I'm hearing that. is there's a flavor of devotion to like, this is, yes, I'm committed to my craft and I'm devoted to, to you creativity. And one way that shows up is, uh, I mean, I'd say in every choice that I make, I have gotten pretty good at checking in with intuition, just like stopping at like checking what's happening right now, what's going on in my body. Like sometimes literally asking the question in my head, like, like what wants to happen? Like, what is here getting pretty good at differentiating well that's anxiety talking that's fear talking that's not intuition that's uh, eh. like and then asking when i hear a voice is that intuition listening to what happens from that too um but often the answer i get will not be something that makes sense or is logical or like fits to the mind and i abide by it without question mm. like, i am yeah truly devotional to that voice when it speaks. And that is one way that I really show up for, for, I would say for creativity, for love, for God, for art, for whatever we want to call it. So I want to make it personal now. <clears throat> so for me, I came from the world of science, right? If it doesn't, not measurable, there's no data, it doesn't mm -hmm. exist. I don't believe it. I dismiss it. So for many decades, I dismissed the likes of feelings, emotions, body sensations. Like, what are those? That's not important. You know, focus on the mind, the content. And then the more I do this type of work and the more I realize like, oh, they're actually all important in my life. And these days I optimize, not optimize, not the word, but I listen for joy. Hmm. What does joy want me to do in this moment? You know, hmm. even, even if it does, it's not logical, it doesn't really make sense. And that's that's what I follow. So for you, Enjoy. from coming from digital media, right? It's all about strategies and the mind and what's logical and the markets and all these things to being devoted to creativity and listen to your intuition. How did you cultivate this faith, this trust in this more? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Does that yeah, make sense? my to put a single word on it would would be love. What does love want right now um, for me? And I'd say the way that that first showed its head or not first where I first paid the most attention to it, it's probably been showing its head for a way longer than say little Max has noticed um, 
uh, yeah, it was a, a very big, intense, beautiful love with this woman named Alana. And in a way that in the community that I was in, that was, she was dating a friend of mine and I tried my absolute best to be as respectful as I could for all that and communicating things to parties and all of those things. But like, there was just something exploding out of my being that was not going to be stopped. And, um, and then eventually, like I tried to not tell her for a long time. And then eventually that just wasn't going to happen. Like, and the destruction in my own life that needed to come from expressing how I was feeling was such a tremendous wave of like relief and goodness. And so clearly and obviously my path, um, I was I was basically ostracized from that community for doing so. And I kept looking for ways like I must, everyone's so mad. I must be wrong. Like I must have done something wrong. Like I must've messed up. Like I must like, where, let me find the way that I could have done this better. Or, like that I could have done this cleaner or been more like, I must be missing something. And then after a while, like I just like went to this deep question of like, should I have not told her? Like, should I have just kept this to myself and like gone on my way and just like, and then I really tried to be with that question. I started laughing hysterically of like, that's just not love. Like, that's just not loving anyone, myself, her, my friend, that's not it. And it was through that process. That was probably the first and biggest time that something that felt so deeply true and loving in my intuition, which went against the norms of my world at the time. And that was probably the, the one of the biggest times that I just trusted it and leapt for it. And then since then, I have noticed it in much smaller ways and just honored that. And I've gotten enough reps in listening, just being like, okay, that might not make sense or seem like what is wanted for me from the outside. And I'm going to listen to it. And basically, I honestly can't think of a single time where trusting my intuition has not led to like a more loving outcome, not just for me, but for everyone touches. Mm. And so like, you just, it would be very hard to convince me that uh, it would be very hard to convince me that that's not a force to dedicate my life to, because it seems to see more beautifully and clearly and deeply than Max sees. And I have seen example after example, after example of that. And even if things, even if there's pain that's created, even if it doesn't go the way my mind wants it to, which it often doesn't, it's still like there's so much beauty and love and learning and growth on the other side of it. And yes, I am devoted to that force. Mm. Yeah, there's um, say payoff is probably not the right word, but that's that's what comes to mind right now of being true to oneself, whatever that is. And in your case, it's love, mm -hmm. right? Versus, you know, going against that and uh, trust logic or whatever the thing and uh, or outside opinions and and become more shall we say spiritually bankrupt as a result of that you might get what you want but it's it's not it's not what you want in quotes, what you thought yeah. you wanted yeah. correct correct um yeah the payoff is life and fullness and aliveness and that's right all of that's that right yeah yeah, Whether and it goes then, your way or not, it goes your way. Life is right. Yeah. So um, you you mentioned actually qu quite a lot in psychedelics uh, about psychedelics in your in your words that move movie. 
So can you share with us a little bit about your experience with it? How has it helped you experience that aliveness, the fullness, open up your mind, open up your heart even more? Can you share uh, with us about that? Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the time, the laughter I just described to you of like being like, it, like really looking at this, like it was it like, should she and I have not connected? Like, is this wrong? Like it was on psychedelics that allowed me to really fully look at that and where it was just so funny to think of that as the case. Um, and the first time I took it, I was 23. Um, and it just felt like all of my anxiety just melted away. And I was looking at the world for the first time as it was compared to all the thoughts and stories that Max had about it. And it was like all this fear and anxiety that I was riddled with just sort of melted in the moment. I could look at you and be like, oh my God, you have a nose. I have a nose. That's amazing. We both have noses. Like what are the odds? <laughs> um, <laughs> but just like with this ease of, okay, like let me look at what's here now. And psychedelics have been a beautiful gift and like an embodied perspective shift towards presence, openness, love, and um, yeah, and absence of judgment and acceptance of what is in all of its many forms. Um, and, you know, there's, if you're prone to psychotic breaks, be a little bit more careful if, uh, and if, uh, you know, like set and setting are very important. There's a lot of sort of research to do, I think, before diving in for the first time. But I also do recommend, you know, or, may, or maybe not, like, or maybe if you, if your gut feels really drawn to it, like, trust that. Um, but it's been one of the most profound teachers in my life. I think there's very little that can create an embodied sense of perspective shift like mm -hmm. that. Psychedelics, heartbreak, <laughs> um, near-death experiences. Those things seem to be the, the greatest teachers and embodied perspective shifters that I've witnessed. Is it a one and done? Is it a regular practice still? How do you, how do you use this particular experience slash tool to support you to be the most authentic version of yourself? Um, I probably do it like a couple times a year. Um, I actually think I've gone a full year without or no, in, in April, last April was the last time I did a journey. And so that's the longest that I've gone without doing it in some time. I usually try to do it a couple times a year. Um, and I'm a lightweight. It's so like, I'm very sensitive to a lot of these things. So I don't do very heavy doses. Um, but I fully like <laughs> have, I think, similar experiences to folks who are doing higher dosage amounts. And I've never tried microdosing in a regular fashion, but I'm curious about that. Um, and yeah, I just am hopeful that in 10 years, it'll be a much more significant part of like our culture and lives and medical process and that we're not looking at it as this illegal, scary thing, as opposed to just like the benefit to consciousness that it can be. I mean, I think personally, one of the reasons why I talk about this openly is the more people talk about it the more normalized it would be because it is, in my opinion, a tool, a powerful tool, a tool not to be taken lightly, but nonetheless, it can really enhance our uh, mental mastery or awareness mastery, you know? And I would have never, if, without, let's say, my ayahuasca experience, I would have never gotten to the depth of my consciousness, my ability to see truth and also illusion. So hence why, you know, I really appreciate when people 
just talk about their own experience. It's, it's, mm. it's really, really helpful. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it to the forefront. I noticed myself have a reaction to the word mastery along with it as mm. the experience of psychedelics for me is such a clear, such clear evidence of how not in control we are. <laughs> I was like this totally of like, oh, whatever I thought I was in control of, there is so much more than that. And we're in control of our own actions and decisions and our own responsibility. Like I like love radical accountability of my own lives and surroundings. And just the idea that I am a master of it in the context of psychedelics is sort of, it brings a smile to my face of like, I kind of think the universe is in charge and <laughs> we're doing mm -hmm. our best to keep our own side of the, our own, our own side of it clean. So, okay, so since I'm talking to a wordsmith, I'd uh, sure. love to hear how you were nuanced that. So here's my perspective around it, right? Please, so my I perspective around it is I'm a martial artist mm. and I look at the world through skill acquisition. I mm. believe we can gain mastery about everything that we do. And then here's one mm. example. People think that, oh, the goal is to get a black belt. No, the goal is to learn the different skills from white belt to black belt and the journey begins after you learn you know you achieve some competency in the basic skills and so the journey ultimately is the horizon it never ends you never arrive to something mm -hmm. so that's my when i use the word mastery that's what you know what i wanted to communicate so it's not so a sense a of finality is who is always open and and learning and who has Correct. um and who has a like a strong skill set of mm. a strong practice skill set. Mm. Oh, if mm. we're using that term for mastery, then then I'm down. Um, when I think of mastery, I think of someone like and I hear the the energy of that word. I think of people who are like, I've mastered this. Like I am. I'm done. Yeah, I'm finished. I'm, I'm finished, and and I'm in control of it, as yeah. opposed to the, yeah, almost it's more like a Buddha like nature of what you're describing of like always being open to to what is new and applying our fullest and best self to it and yeah, i don't know what a word for that is but i would like it whatever <laughs> that one is <laughs> well if it comes to mind by the end of our conversation <laughs> okay, please cool. let me know because uh, that's the sentiment that's the spirit i wanted to communicate not finality but rather hey we're all on this journey of towards you know honestly the the, the word that comes to mind is, uh, what was the phrase you used? I want to use it with the same phrase. You said a master of, do you remember? Uh, skill acquisition? No, no, no. It's like a, ma a master of your own consciousness, maybe, or a master. Yeah, of... yeah, yeah. Consciousness, awareness. Uh, that's, that's what I, I use. I think it would probably be a dancer of your own consciousness. Mm. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Great. Awesome. Um, like that. Well, let's segue a little bit to the work that you do with the students. I know that you're a poet, but you also are the, the founder, is that correct, of uh, Social Awakening? Is that correct? That's correct. So can you share with us your intention of working with the students, with the schools? What is it that you're intending Absolutely. to deliver to them? Um, I'm trying to help the next generation have a like more dancery of their own lives mm -hmm. um and uh i think it's very hard for them to be their own people and live internally driven beautiful lives in the age of social media 
Um, I'm trying to help them have healthier relationships with technology, with their devices and with themselves and with each other. Um, we're seeing massive mental health challenges among this generation, especially seems quite related to the rise in social media's popularity. And I get to come in, not as their parent or teacher, but as someone who used to work in the tech industry and say, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I am here to show you how this is designed so you can see the ways that you're being manipulated by some of these platforms and you can make your own decisions and make better decisions about how much and how often you want to use this stuff. And I show them some of the specific ways that that's happening and kind of open their minds to like, hey, when are we, in what ways are we doing this on purpose? And in what ways are we actually totally just caught in this messed up thing that none of us would ever actually choose? Um, and so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a very good perspective shift and kickoff to like a different way of thinking about this stuff. And then afterwards, there's like some follow-up resources and lesson plans and things like that of just like thinking a little bit more deeply about how social media is steering our lives and relationships. And I have spent a lot of my time this year doing that work. It's very busy. There are a lot of schools who are looking for, for this. And yeah, I've given, what is it? It was, I gave 15 presentations this past week. Um, wow. I gave 21 the week before that. And I'm wow. heading off to another um, another nine in this next week. And so it's, it's quite busy. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, and I'm learning to balance that work and my art work life. And it also feels like a duty and something that I have mm. uh, a lot of, like, just, I'm effective at it. And so I, mm. I'm committed to it. So thank you for pointing to that. And that's the trend that will continue to, uh, emerge and evolve uh, along the way. I, I don't see it going away anytime soon, right? You had said somewhere in your in your in your show that you know something about changing people's minds. So what's effective? And then um, let me ask the nuanced question. So the demand is there, especially from the parents from the school part. But I am curious about whether the students want that. Yeah. So your questions go hand in hand for sure, because the key, the way that you effectively change people's mind is basically like you don't, they change their own mind. Like you help people change their own mind if they want to. And when they want to, it works when they want to. Mm -hmm. And so that is very much my approach and my strategy is like, Hey, like, what do you want? Like, Hey, like all of you, what do you want in your own life? And there's a couple of powerful moments. One is when like, I ask them, I say, raise your hand if you use Snapchat. All their, ooh, how do I get on camera there? All my hands are, all their hands are up. Keep your hands high if you have Snapchat streaks going. All their hands are up. Keep your hands high if you like Snapchat streaks. All their hands go down. Um, and so they get to like recognize in the moment, okay, yeah, we're doing this thing that we don't like doing. Like maybe this stuff does work on us. And so I think a big part of the value I bring to schools is just opening kids' minds. And not everyone. I'm not reaching every kid. There are plenty of kids who are sitting there rolling their eyes at me and being like, this guy is trying to tell me how to use my phone. Um, but I am pretty good at opening the opening the door so that kids can be like, yeah, you know, I this isn't working for me. And I do want to change my relationship with it. A lot of kids will delete some of the apps like in the room um, when I'm like when I'm there. Like I ask them like, whatever that one app is, there's one app on your phone. Like, I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. It's either a huge time waster or terrible for your mental health, but you don't delete it because you're a total addict. And then like they get out their phones and they're like, it's like, if you want to, do you want to delete that app? And then probably like 25% of them delete the app right there. Mm. Okay. So, so I'm going to 
let's see, advocate for the voice of the skeptic real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. I agree with you. I think it's a worthy effort. And I'll, now I'm going to advocate for, you know, just the skeptic. Go for it. The, the, the force is so great, right? From the advertising, from the brand, from the billions of dollars going to designing these apps to be so addictive. Um, you came in with a moment of awareness, awakening, right? To like, all right, I don't like this. Let me delete it. But then after you're gone, then the force of the, you know, all the billions of dollars and then all the designs and just the, the, the culture, the peers, it was going to pull back. It's going to seduce the students back to their addiction with their phone. So how do you help sustain that moment of inspiration to actual behavior change so then they can be free, be liberated from their addiction? For sure. And also, by the way, I would love to say that I come in for an hour in their lives and cure them of this ale. And that is not the case, for sure. Mm -hmm. It is a spark in a first moment. Um, some of the different things I do are, one, like there's follow-up and continued conversation and exercises or groups of to keep it going. But two is like during the hour, I focus on like, hey, if you are interested in changing your relationship to this, like you're going to feel like cravings, like straight up withdrawal symptoms. Like as you don't have it, you're going to feel the moment where you feel called to like, whether it's boredom, loneliness, anxiety, you're going to feel called to start scrolling. So what you, one thing you can figure out for yourself is like, what do you want to do instead in that moment for habits to stick? We're going to need to figure out like something else that we're wanting to do in that moment. Also, like, are you alone in this? If you're doing it by yourself and a lot of people will tell me they deleted it. And then three weeks later, they're sitting around with their friends. All their friends are just on TikTok and they thought, all right, fuck it, whatever. I'm just going to go on TikTok. Um, it's probably easier to do this together in groups. And, you know, also of one question I got from a teenager the other day was like, Hey, how do I like, how do I deal with like when I delete, I really like deleting the app and then like all my, like, I feel like I don't know what the trends are my friends are talking about and I feel self-conscious to like ask them. Um, and I say things like, Hey, like, I think you might be looking at, you feel like a burden when you're asking them to explain this. It's like, but actually like, what if you were a gift? to your friends of that, like, you know, everybody is on their phones all the time doing this thing that they're not actually enjoying a lot. It's like, maybe you lean into it and be like, okay, like, what if you said, hey, can you explain this TikTok trend to me? You are not allowed to use any videos. You're not allowed to show me. You have to explain in words what this TikTok trend is to me, like go and then have everybody get together and try to do that. You're probably going to have actually a pretty enjoyable experience doing that because they're ridiculous. And so it'll be like funny as they try to explain it. You'll laugh together as you figure that out. And so like trying to help them like recognize some of those differences and create more actual fun moments in their lives. And yeah, you're right that like, I'm not solving this. Like when I come in, it does not get fixed. Um, and frankly, like I would like to get better at what the follow-up looks like and how to continue to support in an ongoing way. Cause there's billions of dollars and huge industries that are committed to this. Um, but what I've gotten really good at so far is the awakening is the spark. And then, Often, you know, the communities themselves, the schools, the groups, like they will continue the work there. They use it as the spark and try to help it keep on going. And how effective is that ongoing process remains to be seen. But that's the process right now. I really see that there's a really, um, I suppose, budding, but an important niche here 
And I'm, I am curious about, about who will pay for this, right? The students definitely need it. But in my mind, I, I suppose this is perhaps a limiting belief that they don't necessarily want to pay for this, but perhaps the parents, perhaps the schools are willing to pay for an ongoing coaching program. Um, yeah, the schools are. I mean, the, my work is funded by the schools and like there are budgets for this stuff. And mm -hmm. yeah, the question I think right now is less about, does that, you know, I think if there's a program that's really working, mm -hmm. there's no there's no shortage of demand or funds, I think, to get that done. Mm, great. I think, um, hey, man, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for you. It's much <laughs> needed. Yeah, I mean, I think going and neutralizing our addictive behaviors is an important thing. I and mean, whether you're addicted to candy or social media or alcohol, whatever the thing that you're addicted to in Netflix, I love, by the way, I love that. I was going to watch one episode and then it sounds six hours later. Like that line was like, ah, oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I relate. I understand. So, but, but it, how you, how this hooks the students in one thing, but it, it translates to many, many other areas in life is such a critical skill to have. Yeah. There's a, a lot of need right now for, ways of man managing and battling addictions, whatever they may be. It's never been easier to fall into the addictive thing. We carry it around 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is often deeply ingrained in our actual lives. It's a really tricky addiction. Mm -hmm. Hey, let me do a hard right. I'm curious to, to know about your perspective around this. ChatGPT, as a creative, what's your what's your perspective around ChatGPT? I'm still playing. Um, I had the thought today, I was like, I wonder if, in the future, like things that people are writing and creating will almost be like the organic food of content. Okay. Um, where what does it's that like, mean? It's like farm to table of like the creation itself was not put into the AI. Like, oh no, this was a natural farm to table creation that I'm taking in compared to the synthetic, the processed creations um i had that thought of like oh i wonder if that's how we'll look at it in the future when there's such proliferation of so many of these ai tools and where it gets better and better and better hmm. um i've yeah like visually i've been loving it the the book that i'm really seeing has a bunch of illustrations that i made with mid-journey and like i'm not a visually creative person and so to to enable me that way i've loved that the ease of that process i notice it doesn't feel like i'm actually making something when I do it, like it just, it, I don't feel like I've created something. Like it doesn't have that, even though I typed in the prompts or changed it a bunch, like it just doesn't have that same creative feeling for me. Um, I've yet to use it in writing in any way that feels good. It's possible that as it gets better, I will. Um, just today, because that there's enough of a presence of me on the internet that this worked, as I'm thinking about like releasing other things, I typed in like, hey, what are, 10 publications that would be likely to be excited about Max Dossel's new video work. And it gave me a list of 10 articles and 10 people that I could reach out to and contact. And I was like, okay, that was cool. Um, and so it's helped my process in that way so far. And yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm nervous about the, the speed of it and the way social media has already done a number on our shared sense of reality and people post on social media, whatever they already wanted to believe and finding evidence for their, you know, like, look how, look how 
the world is exactly the way that I told you it was all along and taking everything that happens in the news to be examples of that. Now we'll be able to create evidence for mm. what we already believed and then people will share it as though it's true. So I think it's going to do a number on our shared sense of reality in a way that makes me really sad. Um, and yeah, I'd say those are, that's my read right now. Okay. So what I'm getting from you is you're cautious about the creative process, right? You still want to protect the, the creative integrity, the artistic integrity, a la farm to table. This is not done with any kind of AI tools. So that's one angle. Another angle that you look at is what else did you say? Um, illustrations from a book. Yeah, so so you do use it for illustration purpose, but the last thing you said was the uh, oh right right the the possibility of weaponizing or amplifying and the echo chamber effect. Like basically, people are just gonna go out and search what uh, augments their point of view, and then now they have this super create. tool to 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 de to polarize what's already polarized even more. Yeah, I think often we're yeah we're searching for things that fit our beliefs. So now if one person has created this story, like you know, with ill intention perhaps to make a certain group look ridiculous, the people are just waiting to see the proof that that group was monsters or evil or whatever it was. And then now we even see it with my own eyes. I can see that I saw him say it. Don't tell me he didn't say it. I saw him say it. Oh, deep fake, deep fakes, or it's even yeah. article the article written from uh, I don't know extreme liberal extreme conservative perspective about x on transgender this like see there are people who believe this look see i saw the article just like it's i think it can there's going to be a lot of darkness too mm. um i'm actually uh, a, a optimist around that yeah <laughs> yeah so so for me the way i see it is uh these ai tools is a forcing function for us to be even more human, to be even more creative. Because mm -hmm. there may be things, so I'll use, I'll use my personal uh, example. Um, I'm not the best when it comes to capitalization, grammar, subject, object agreements, you know, all these you know, segues, transitions, all these type of things. So now with these tools, I can actually focus on the idea itself rather than trying to shore up my shortcomings. As an example, so it actually helps me um, to, in terms of artistic direction, like I may have, I may have an idea I want to express, but I don't have the skills necessarily to really refine in such a way that communicates and lands to Max. But now I have a way to say this is the visual artistic direction-wise what I'm trying to communicate, or this sentence, this paragraph, is what I'm trying to communicate. So I'm excited for the possibility for that. Thoughts, response? Yeah, there's something interesting about like, it basically becomes the AI suggesting like, hey, did you mean this? It's like, did you want to say this? Is it like that? And then we sort of are picking more. Yeah, kind of like that. And then, or maybe you're not quite like that, no more like this. And yeah, I know that I didn't just, there was a lot of this and that words and that, and there wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very much substance. Oh, what? Um, but the, uh, I think the process of creating something of, formulating a thought and idea and expressing that thought and idea. Like back to the energy transfer and loss. I think the ease at which it will be, we'll be able to be like, yeah, kind of that um, as opposed to really birthing something 
Mm. Um, and so I'm worried about the the loss of what we're birthing and very grateful for the things that it makes easier. Um, but the, you know, as AI tends to, it steps on the not measurable. It steps on the nuanced. It steps on what is hard to see um, because it's operating entirely on things that are measurable and ones and zeros and data that is inputted inside of it. Uh, so yeah, there's like the, I like to use this example of the flobulins, which is a term that I use, especially when talking to very scientifically minded people who, uh, where it's like, are oh, you taking the flobulins into account? And they often first look at me confused because flobulins don't exist, which is very fair. Um, and the reason that I bring it up is because things like- Wait, that, wait, what does that word mean again? Exactly. So it doesn't mean anything. I made it up. But what I'm making it mean <laughs> mm -hmm. is things like bacteria in medicine, things that absolutely fundamentally measurably change an entire industry in very clear and obvious ways. But before we know that they exist, we just operate and proceed and build systems without accounting for them. Mm -hmm. It's not that bacteria doesn't exist. It's that we didn't have the ability to measure it until we did. Mm -hmm. um, and the flobulins to me are the things that in five, 10 years are absolutely very much real and there and critical to our fields and processes in whatever sort of area, but we do not yet, we don't yet know how to measure them or see them right now. They're flobulins. We don't have any idea what they are, but they will exist in five, 10 years. We'll be able to measure them in five, 10 years. And so I'd say one of my biggest concerns with the rapid pace of technology is the flobulins, is that it is not accounting for very measurable, real, tangible, important things that are existing in our reality that we don't yet know how to see or measure. And mm. we are proceeding at light speed without taking something as important as bacteria into account for what we're building and growing at. Um, and so that's, that's my main concern with the speed of AI. Mm. So in my mind, there are two responses if I oversimplify everything. Right. So one response is, yeah, it's good enough. Let me just ship it to you. Engineer right? approach. Like, yeah. Let me, let me, like, no, no, I mean, the, the content, like, let me type in some prompts. Okay. Yeah. It's approximate to what I'm trying to communicate. Okay. Versus my use case isn't that. Let me, I don't wholesale, you know, take everything and just ship. What I use is really get into flabulence. Like what is the what is the the thing that I'm trying to express, and then using your phrase, express the infinity of this being, this fabulous that I'm trying to grasp at. I just didn't have words for it. It helps me there, so it helps me to be even more human. That's my use case versus just outsourcing, you know, content to this AI tool. Hmm. And I guess that gets into the question of like, is there something in crafting and figuring it out? as opposed to grabbing it from an external source? And do we give up our, how much of our power in the process of that are we giving up? How much of our creation process and like how much of the reality of it are we saying that's good enough? And if we're really not, then that's great. Like my read on human beings is that we tend to take the path of least resistance a lot. And so I think mm -hmm. there'll be a lot of settling. Mm -hmm. um, 
end because it's harder to birth an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but that's some some will take that effort, and that's great too. And some won't, and that's okay too. And and this is why I use the tools responses. I believe that those who basically just outsource their thinking to AI tools, they're gonna be so full of noise versus those who really use these tools for what they are and know the limitations of it and use it to uh, enhance their own creativity. To me, that's that's a better path. And then and then it would be even more valuable now that we can basically cut. 10 different drafts of let's say an artistic direction of a an image or a paragraph or something and then we can select those from my opinion not the yeah. truth no, i'm trying to take what you're saying like to social media of like as social media came of like who are the people who like took the tool and really used it in the like in the way that you're describing of like to at this deep enhanced beautiful way as opposed to um, just kind of falling into the the nature of the system. Well, I'm curious because you work with Mr. Gary V. What do you think? Like I am an outsider, never worked with him, never met him. He's used that tool very, very well. Yeah, he's somebody who I think, you know, he's a very good fit for social media. Um, and yeah, I agree. He, him, Humans of New York, um, there are some shining examples that shine through to me. They feel like rarities compared to the vast majority of the noise and like self-obsessedness and twisting, um, which is not to say that the beauty doesn't exist. It absolutely does. Um, yeah. I'm just, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, Oh, I'm hopeful that the ones that stand out and are doing it in these really beautiful human ways are the ones that shine through. That just isn't what I'm noticing on social media. It seems like, with that new technology, there are some shining lights that, you know, we're able to think of and highlight and I'm struggling to think of more yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and then the vast majority of it is this other sort of messy nonsense. And I hope AI will be different. I hope that this set of tools will be different. And I guess I'm not confident that it will be. Um, well, I really appreciate your artistry. I really appreciate your commitment, your devotion to creativity and i am hopeful that you know all the things that you, we've been touching upon you know from mental health to you know social media presence to creative process to exposing our oneself our truth uh using this medium um is going to be a net net positive that, but that's me. I'm an eternal optimist. I'm hoping too, man. <laughs> I'm not hoping for anything less. I just am trying to, yeah. And, and I think the more methodology, the more discipline we can suppose teach or transfer, like all the wisdom that you accumulated over time into creativity and social media and all these things, and then be able to transfer to the younger generations, I think, I hope, I am hopeful that more people can take from you learn from you and then be more of themselves experience that moment the unit of rapture in the moment and more and express and then leaving more of this this comet that's uniquely them well i appreciate that brother and thanks for chatting 
Yeah. Is there any last thing that you wanted to say for people who are listening to you and just like if there's like one thing you want to leave them with? Um, yeah, the devotion to love, like love itself is really quite wonderful. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Five stars on Yelp, maybe more. <laughs> I just can't quite give it any more stars because of the Yelp limitations, but I can and I will and I do give it more stars, all the stars for devotion to love. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for chatting. <laughs>